This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, Cricket Badgers everywhere. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. I'm James, as always, taking you through this edition. And I count myself very lucky to do this Cricket Badger podcast. I am a Cricket Badger. I love cricket. I love this sport. And like all of you, I've got heroes in the sport that I've watched down the years. And it's a a real privilege to get to talk to many of those great players and pick their brains and chat to them about the sport. And this edition is uh, definitely right up there because I have an absolutely brilliant guest. The word legend, the term great, they're overused in sport in general. Alan Knott is my favourite wicketkeeper of all time. Absolute magician behind the sticks. But the man I'm talking to today is not very far behind him, was a little bit of a pupil of Knotty as well. And what he could do with the gloves on was rather special through his career for both Gloucestershire and England. It's an absolute pleasure today to welcome Jack Russell to the show. As I say, right at the end of this, and it is a two-parter, because when you get somebody like Jack Russell on, you just enjoy listening to what they're saying, and you just let them talk. And Jack gave me his time really brilliantly, and his answers to the Cricket Badger 20 questions on this edition of the podcast are really worth listening to. Some really funny, some insights into his career as well. And a man that's mastered two disciplines. I, I struggle to master getting out of bed in the morning, yet Jack Russell, an international cricketer of more than some repute, and now an absolutely superb artist. And sometimes, you know, that saying, don't meet your heroes. I mean, obviously we're in lockdown, and I didn't get to meet Jack. He was at the other end of the telephone. But it is true, sometimes you meet people that you've admired for a long time. They don't quite live up to expectations. That was not true of Jack Russell. An absolute gentleman, really good company for the little bit over an hour that we spoke. And I really enjoyed this chat. Hope you do too. Don't turn it off. Carry on listening. Listen to part two as well. Jack Russell, absolute gem of a guest. 
on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for supporting the Cricket Badger Podcast. Have a look at their website, some great sporting content on there, and give them a follow at tvsportsblog on Twitter. And let's get into the chat with Jack Russell, one of the best wicket keepers there has ever been, and certainly right up there as one of the best guests I've ever had on the Cricket Badger Podcast. Sit back, get yourself a tipple, make yourself a brew, Stick your earphones in, go for a run, do whatever you do when you listen, but make sure you listen to this one. As my guest, this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast is Gloucestershire and England's wicketkeeper extraordinaire, Mr. Jack Russell, on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. It's that Badger style. Absolute pleasure on the Cricket Badger podcast today to welcome one of the finest wicketkeepers there's ever been, Jack Russell. How are you, James? I'm good, thanks. Hope you're uh, you're safe and well. I'm living with lockdown. I'm not. I'm not suggesting I'm enjoying it, but uh, it's a, it's an experience, isn't it? And hopefully we get through it soon, and the world gets back to some kind of normality. How are you finding it? Fine. Um, I'm just busy painting, so it's not affected me on a daily basis greatly. Apart from not seeing the odd client, I've, I've, I've probably had about five or six commissions cancelled or put off because matches haven't been played because they've been cancelled. But apart from that, I'm just painting away all day, every day. So I'm 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 one of the lucky ones. Obviously, we're going to come on to your painting later on in the podcast, but cricket, very much a team sport. You're in the middle of it, you're in the dressing room, you're surrounded by people. Painting's very much a, a solo activity, isn't it? It's a very different kind of venture. Yeah, it's quite a sol- solitary, um, but that sort of suits my character, I think. I'm that sort of person, really. I'm sort of a... I don't mind my own company and um, I don't mind being on my own. I, you know, I'm never bored. I'm always, I'm always doing something. I mean, I was, maybe that's why I became one of the reasons I became a wicketkeeper as well, because there's only one of those yeah. in the team. That's quite a solitary position to be in with. And there's no hiding. If you know, if you mess one up, you can't wander down a third man in for a few overs and, and think it over. And, um, you know, as, as a keeper, you've got to be there ready for the next ball. If you if you bowl a bad spell and the captain takes you off, you get a chance to think about it. Or if you get your middle pole knocked out, then you, you sit down for a day or two and think about that. But keepers, it's such a solitary, um, mentally can be a quite a lonely position, you know. You, 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 the, the mental side of it is very important. So maybe I, I the solitude of it is quite sort of like suits my character. I don't know. So I'd, I'd leave other people to analyse that, but it, it's a solitary job, really. And as a keeper, I always think, you know, same with a goalkeeper in football, you've got to be the best, haven't you? To get that shirt, you've got to be the best keeper in your team because there's only one spot. Yeah, there is. And, um, you know, you've got to, and the standards have to be high, otherwise there's somebody going to be there to, to take your place. So it's so there's only one place for you in the team, really, unless you're a frontline batter or you can bowl. It's, and not many keepers can genuinely bowl. So it's sort of, you, you've got to be, there's no room for error, really. You know, you've got to be spot on as often as you can because there's bound to be somebody there to take you. Goalkeepers are the same, you know, and it's interesting when you're on tour and you've got a couple of keepers on tour and the, the, the footballers, the England goalkeepers would find it the same, though they've probably got three. Um, you sort of like, it's, it's it's between two of you normally for one place in the team. So there's, you've always got to be aware of the competition and um, it, it's great. I mean, I, I mean, I, the reason I started keeping wicket because I, I got bored down at third man in fine legs. So you'll never hear any complaints from me about the position or the loneliness of it or the, um, you know, you can't hide. There's no hiding place, really. You know, you sign up for that. And that's probably what why keepers and goalkeepers are slightly on the edge or a little bit crazy because you sort of, you have to have a certain mentality to it that, you, you know, while well, you might be slightly bonkers, you actually, we actually love it. So you never hear me complaining about having to keep wicket all day or two days or two and a half days or 
for anything. I, I, I would never be bemoaning the position. I, you know, I've loved every minute of it. Jack, you're going to take on the cricket badger twenty questions today. I've, I've reworked them a yep. little bit for your your keeping capacities, but just a couple of very quick questions to slip in before we get to that. I, I saw on the Gloucestershire um, Twitter feed the other day they'd done a little bit of a knockout tournament. I'm doing a very similar thing on the app cricket underscore badger Twitter feed at the moment to find the greatest Test cricketer of all time. But they they were looking for the the greatest Gloucestershire England player, and you won it. You beat uh, W. G. Grace in the final, I think, to win that. That's uh, that's quite some honour, isn't it? I was absolutely gobsmacked with that. Um, Andy Brassington, an old keeper, my old keeper teammate, uh, when I first went to Gloucestershire, he texted me and said, you know, congrats in that. And um, I was choked. I said to him, I said, look, I, I, was, I was choked by it because it just means so much. And because Gloucestershire, I'm a Gloucestershire boy, and it's, you know, the county's in my blood. So it's the only team that I played for county-wise. And that's all I wanted to do when I was a kid. I wanted to play for Gloucestershire and play for England. That's, that's basically with my life in front of me. And for it to happen, was a, a magic thing on its own, you know. It's I, I was one of the uh, as a little school kid at the Benson Edges final '77 as a as a as a youngster and watched Gloucestershire beat Kent. And Mike Proctor was the the captain then, and um, he was recently voted the best overseas player, which I think absolutely spot on. Um, you know, he was a tremendous player. So to actually be mentioned in that sort of bracket, I mean, just to be in the competition at all is like a is an honour. But to actually win it was just um, I still don't believe it, but you know, the fans at Gloucestershire were very an important part of our journey, you know, as, as especially in that last few years, four or five years, when we're winning trophies quite often and getting trips to Lords. They were a very important part of it. So, And, and the fans have always been, we, we've always been, I mean, most cricket teams and players are quite close to their fans and, um, you, you know, your regulars and the people that support you through, through thick and thin. So to be voted by those guys, um, it's hard to find the words to sort of show how much I appreciate that. But... Um, I, I was I was choked when I, I saw the result. Yeah, definitely. And to beat beat W G Grace along the way, that's I mean, <laughs> you would I would have thought W G Grace probably would have won it, but it, it, there were some great names in there, and, and, and Mark Elaine was in the final with me. So, you know, what a brilliant cricketer he was. So, he, you know, if he'd have won it, I wouldn't have had no complaints at all. I'd just say thanks to all the Gloucester fans that voted for me. Thank you very much. Yeah, some terrific names in that vote. And uh, yeah, very well done on winning it. Very well done on winning it. I, I was looking at t- Twitter the other day and there was a, a lovely little, um, I think it was a three ball clip of you keeping. And uh, you, were, you were standing up and taking a really nice one, then whipping off the bales and, and what have you. And yeah, a lot of people on Twitter commenting on that uh, little clip and saying, yeah, what a fantastic keeper. And, and I, I just wondered as a, as a player now, kind of removed a little bit from the game and doing your painting and stuff. Do you still feel the love from supporters? Because you are a very much loved character in cricket. People really liked you as a player, but liked your kind of quirky personality and stuff. There's a lot of love out there for you. Uh, you're very kind. I've always had a good relationship with the fans. You know, I, I always, you know, at the end of a day's play, I'd always sign everybody's autograph. And you know, I'd get them to line up. And if, if I was late for team meetings, that was tough. It was my excuse. You know, just, the fans are actually a, a critical part of, of, of a player's career really and um, well it was for me and I was has been and even now you know it still is now and to watch those clips it was great to reminisce back to, to beating Somerset in the in the, the 99 final that was great and um, yeah and it actually seems to have gone worldwide these clips I mean it, I've had messages from you know the Australia that are sort all around the world it's been the comments have been absolutely amazing and um, you know I was just doing my job and having a lot of fun at the time so you know, I was just doing doing the best I could. But for people to, to sort of compliment it and compliment the three clips uh, in the way they have is is mind blowing, really. And um, thanks to Clotish Cricket for putting those clips on because um, they seem to have an effect quite quite a way around the world. So if it's 
if it's still giving people pleasure watching those old clips, then uh, as I do watching my old heroes, Alan Knott and Bob Taylor, then um, then I'm, I'm pleased that it's, it's carrying on. And, uh, you know, I'm not complaining at all about it. It's just I, I, the warmth and the love is, is, is overwhelming. I thank everybody for that. I, I, some fantastic glove work in those clips, but I like the little skip after you take it. You, you got the stumping, you knew you got it, and you came back down the wicket and a little skip before you celebrated with your teammates. I really like that. I, I didn't do that very often, but it was against Somerset, so it actually meant quite. It seemed <laughs> to like it was a big final for us because it was Gloucestershire and Somerset in the final, and the whole ground was just packed with West Country people. And um, to cut a long story short, there was no way we could travel back down the M4 having lost that game. So with, there was only going to be one winner, and it had to be us. And there was one thing happened during the day, which I'll just quickly tell you about. Well, I was in such a zone. If you watch the clip, um, I'm so focused and determined in, in what I'm doing and trying to do the best job I can. Uh, you're in a zone, in, but I was broken by, from the zone. You know, I was in that sort of state of mind where just no, everything else on the planet disappeared. But it, it, there was a moment during the game where I heard the crowd singing, stand up if you're from the West Country. <laughs> and, and then I looked around and about 90% of the ground stood up. And even now, that sends the hairs on the back of my neck going up. Um, that was a, a special moment. So it was a, it was great. Yeah, it was a good day, though. I'm very conscious, Jack, that I could keep you on this um, telephone call we're having for about six hours talking to you about That's cricket. Right. No, but, carry uh, on. I don't mind. <laughs> but we'll get we'll get to the cricket budget twenty questions. I'm sure there'll be time for us to reminisce and do all sorts of different things as we go through these twenty questions. But yeah. just question number one. If not a cricketer, Jack Russell, what would you have done with your life? What would you, where would life have taken you if cricket didn't exist? I think I would have been a soldier because I wanted to be a soldier when I was little and I was always been interested in military history, even now. It's my passion. So I think I would have been a soldier, although probably if, I'd, if I could have picked anything I wanted to do initially, I would have been a goalkeeper, but I was never tall enough. I never grew big enough to be a goalkeeper. I was all right in five aside, you know, those six aside goals where the, the, the bar's about waist high. I was okay in those. You know, I, I sort of grew up late 60s, early 70s, late 70s, watching goalkeepers like Gordon Banks and Ray Clements and uh, Peter Shilton and those guys. So I, I always, if we played football as, as kids, I, was, I always wanted to be in goal. Um, so if I, I probably would have wanted to be a goalkeeper, but knowing that I was never going to be tall enough, I think I would have been, uh, ended up being a career soldier, I would think. Whether I was brave enough to do that, I don't know. Maybe time would have told, and I would have maybe I would have found out. But um, that was the interest for me was soldiering, definitely. Have you got the kind of character then that leads you into kind of structured environments? I mean, soldiers are very regimented. Team sports, you got kind of got to abide by yeah. the rules and and be a, a team man. So is that kind of something that whets your appetite? Yeah, probably, probably because I'm sort of OCD. Everyone tells me I'm a bit compulsive disorder with like. I don't mind I like routines and I don't mind structure and I don't mind, although I tend to be a bit rebellious sometimes and don't like authority. So I might not, have, I might have ended up in, in uh, the army's jails a little bit because <laughs> I, don't, I don't like authority. I might have struggled with that. I quite like the maverick type of, not your run-of-the-mill soldier, the, the special forces guys. They, I find those guys a fascination. So maybe on the mental side of it, I'd like to think I would have, I don't know, you don't know, but I'd like to think um, that would have been an interesting part of it. I probably would have gone for a, you know, SAS training, try to get in the SAS, whether I would have made it. No, I doubt it. But the, the structure and the soldiering side of it, I think, would have fascinated me. Yeah, and I don't mind self-regimentation. I, I'm quite good at that. 
when you were telling me the answer, I was imagining in my head Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and then Jack Russell at the other end of the line. It was uh, yeah, interesting. No, no, I haven't quite got the physique. I'd have to be sort of like an infiltrator somewhere, <laughs> like a man on a mission behind enemy lines or something. You know, I don't, I don't know, Bravo 2-0 or something, you know, something a little bit off the wall. Not, not your run-of-the-mill, normal um, army routine stuff. I think I would have gone for something a bit off, the, you know, off a tangent somewhere. Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Who has been the biggest influence on your cricket career? Well, when I was growing up, it was Alan Knott and Bob Taylor. They were my two heroes, really, that I looked up to and um, I tried to copy a bit and then just studied them closely. Because we didn't have coaches in them days. There were no video things and you couldn't play something back on a computer or look at yourself so you basically had to watch other keepers and learn from that Andy Brassington when I first went to Gloucestershire was a big help because he he had a brilliant technique um, and he was tempted to play for England at one or two times in his career unfortunately his batting wasn't quite where it should have been but because he would be bat number 10 or 11 but his pure as, as a pure keeper he was somebody I learned a lot from as well Andy, uh, Andy Brassington when I first went to Gloucester, but Alan Knott was my big hero because when I watched, uh, it was 77 at Headingley, he took a catch dive into his right, Rick McCosker caught Knott, bowled Tony Gregg, and he took it one-handed, dived in front of Mike Brearley, and that was the moment, that was that light bulb moment when I said to myself, right, I'm going to do that, I want to do that, I want to do what Alan Knott's doing. And um, that, that sort of, and that was 77, so I sort of was focused on that from there, but Bob Taylor was a, a keeper you could, uh, he had a very simple technique, no webbing in his gloves, you know, he didn't have the webbing between finger and thumb. So he, he had a very pure technique. So I, when I I did try and copy Bob Taylor a lot in my early part of my career. Alan, not you couldn't copy, but I used to enjoy chatting to him about the mental side of it. I know he was very good with batting as well. When he was England wicket-keeping coach, he helped with my batting a lot. So he, he was my hero growing up, and I, I was lucky enough to have him as my England keeping coach when they first started having England keeping coaches part-time so I was really lucky to and I'm still in touch with him he lives in um, he lives in Cyprus um, and I saw Bob Taylor a year or two back on the county circuit where we do our exhibitions with the painting so I'm still in touch with those guys and um, you know they were just my heroes and I just wanted to be like them really. Alan Knott was one of my heroes. I was never a wicketkeeper, Jack, but I, I've always been fascinated by the art of wicketkeeping and, and watching Alan Knott keeping to Derek Underwood. Oh. It, it's just something special. I mean, I always think, Jack, that when you when you watch a wicketkeeper, I mean, you're supposed to not notice them. That's the kind of the old saying, isn't it? If you don't notice one, then they're doing a good job. But if you, if you actually yeah. study a, a wicketkeeper, I always think you get more out of it when they're standing up. I mean, you were quite around for standing up to the, the kind of the pace bowlers and, and what have you. But if, if you've got quick feet and you've got quick hands and you can you can keep standing up, then that makes you quite special. And there was, in, in my opinion, with all due respect to you, there was nobody better than Notty when it came to that. Oh, I agree. I, <clears throat> I agree totally. He's, he's, everybody says he's the best keeper ever, and I say Alan Knott. Um, he was the best all-round keeper as well because he, he got five tests under, so he could bat as well. He was a brilliant... He could play an England team almost as a batter, but he would come in at... He was, he was sort of like the, the forerunner of Gilchrist that coming in at seven or eight and, and being quite an, you know, a devastating player. Um, in his own way, but in terms of keeping, if you to keep wicket to Derek Underwood, he used to bowl quite quick at times, yeah. depending on the surface, you know. And also remember those days, <clears throat> a lot of the time they were on uncovered wickets. So I mean, the, the wickets they played on and turn and bounce and skid on, and it, it was like and, and Derek used to bowl it quite quick. So 
for the, for Alan, it was that was a different class. I mean, those two guys were like um, joined at the hip, weren't they? And it, even Alan says that he would know exactly what Derek was going to bowl the next ball, probably, and he could judge by his run up sometimes. In fact, he stopped Derek a few times in practice one day halfway through his run and told Derek what he was going to bowl. So he, Alan knew in his run up even. So it's quite an interesting combination that and something that keepers have to work with in, in terms of their bowlers. You know that that link or the relationship between a, a bowler and the keeper, especially if a spinner, is absolutely crucial. And you've almost got to be like, well, you've got to be on the same wavelength and you've got to know what's going on and you've got to read it brilliant, especially if it's a leg spinner, you've got to read it very well to cope with it very well. So, Alan, I mean, I spoke to hours and hours and hours I spent with Alan not chatting about keeping wicket to certain bowlers, but just looking back at the video sometimes, you know, he might, he, Derek Underwood might bowl a, a quick left arm in-swinger and it would go, you know, York leg stump, York, and Alan would take it and whip the bales off. So it wasn't just your normal spin. He could change. He was at times he could bowl. He could bowl medium pace, um, quite sharp. So just watching the old film, there's no question in my mind, Alan Ott was the greatest ever. I, I watched Derek Underwood bowl a lot, and even to the extent at club cricket, even though I was trying to bowl fast, I still um, took nine steps and then a skip to mark my run-up at, because that was the same as Derek Underwood took. Um, yeah. And I could never quite work out, as you've just said, I could never quite work out whether he was a medium pacer or a spinner. He was somewhere in between, wasn't he, and had all of those variations. It was quite special. Well, he bowled me out of Cheltenham one day, talking about slowness and deceiving people in the air, and I just went to hit the ball. He wasn't there. You know, he just bowled me through the gate. It was just, I played too early, because he just, he could change his pace at will, and he was just so, just a, just a really, one of the, one of the great bowlers, really. There's no question about that. And I think, Alan Knott and Derek Underwood combination has got to be possibly one of the greatest combinations of all time. Totally agree. What's been your best moment in cricket, Jack? If you could relive any day, if I could take you back to a day in your career, what would you like to relive again? Well, that's so difficult because there's, there's quite, I've had so many, I've been lucky to have so many. I think your debut is important. You always remember your debut. My first, first class game, I was still at school. I was supposed to take an A-level examination and, um, Luckily, I was the only guy doing the course. It was actually metalwork engineering, so they cancelled it. And I played my very first first-class game for Gloucestershire. I was 17. I think I always remember running out with Gloucestershire sweater on. Yeah, it was like a boyhood, boyhood dream coming true, you know, that, that moment so special, as it was with England. I think those are the two that, because without those two, the rest of it doesn't happen. So to run out for Gloucester and then and run out for England, for the first time with three lions on your chest, which was at Lords at the same time to boot on the greatest cricket ground of all, with Graham Gooch uh, in front of me in 1988. That was something really special. I'll, I'll never forget coming down through the long room and down through the steps, and everybody applauds you, and you go out onto that lush green grass. And um, at my favourite cricket ground of all times, you know, I even love used to love playing there when there was no no crowd. It's just still still a special place to play. So to make my debut at, at Lords for England was was magic. So those are the two that, in terms of, you know, I always hark back to those two. But I mean, there's, there's been quite a few, luckily, interesting moments along the way that you sort of think, well, I wouldn't mind going back to that. Those three clips you mentioned was the 99 uh, NatWest final against Somerset. That was a magic day. That was, a, I mean, stood in the crowd, what, 22 years before down in the Compton Edgewood stand um, and watched Gloucestershire play and beat Kent to be in a final, although we did play Yorkshire a month or so earlier. So that summer was magic. That was great. I think from England point of, from an England point of view, I got 64 not out at Lords in my third test. That's the Ashes 89. Everyone talks about my 100 at Old Trafford, which was obviously if you get an Ashes 100, is something really special. But to get 64 in the second test, which actually we were playing like 
it was a different team every week. So you were lucky to be in the team. And we, I didn't have a great first game with the bat. So my, I knew my test career was on the line in my second Ashes test. So I had to get some runs and um, managed to get six top score, 64, not out on the first day, even though we got bowled out. I think that I'd always hark back to that as a pivotal moment. Um, because I would have felt in terms of do or die a day, my career would have, might could have ended on that day if I'd have got a low score. So that was important, which enabled me to get 100 um, at Old Trafford, um, which was also my first first-class 100. So that's a special, special moment where we lost the Ashes on the same day. So that's a bit of a, a downer. I think those are always those great moments. I think the world record people, people. I think there's two things people chat to me about all the time. They always mention it. They, they always chat about Johannesburg. Uh, myself in my catheter in '95. When well, he batted two days. I just batted the one to save the save the game. Yeah, um, just the one, Jack. Just the one. Yeah, just the. I just did most of the last day. That was fine. Others <laughs> done most of it. He did nearly two. But I got a world record for catches the, the day before. So that was quite. So I had a game with those two things happening at the same time. You, you, um, were, you were man of the match special. in that test, weren't you? Yeah, we joined. We were, I was joined. I think that's the first time anyone was ever joined man of the match with. With Mike Atherton, um, which is special. I, I always apologise to Athens for doing that because he's the man of the match, really, for his, his 180 miles. But that's always a special um, occasion. And, and, and that gets mentioned. There's two things that get mentioned a lot. is that, that match and my hat. Have I still got the hat, which I have. So those are the two things that, the first things that are mentioned to me um, when everybody talks cricket. So I think I have to mention Johannesburg because, you know, I had the time of my life. It was um, it was a great experience. And the you know, if I could go back, I probably would go back to that because it was such a, an enjoyable day to be sort of like defiant and a bit stubborn. So it was, um, it was great. It was, it, it, there's so many, it's difficult to pick them out. So that's just a few of them. That 11 catches in a test match. I always, I always think, Jack, that it's it's the bowler that kind of gets the edge, isn't it? The, the keeper obviously has to take the catch and what have yeah, you. But, but wicket keeping records are a little bit weird in that respect because it's a you know it's the partnerships that you talked about before, isn't it? And you can probably keep better on a different day and not take any catches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the best. Uh, I mean, I remember keeping wicket at um, Oxbridge. No, not Oxbridge. Southgate against Middlesex. Uh, one first by cast game. And I didn't get a catch till like ten to five on the last day, uh, and had to be ready for it. So it's. And I once waited a year and a half for a, late, a stumping through the gate. And I've been working on that for a year and a half with Alan Knox. So little things like that. But you, you're dead right. Cause Dan, and Dominic Cork always keeps reminding me that he, the world record was down to him and the other bowlers. And, he, and I agree, and he's, probably, he's quite right, really. Well, I wouldn't tell it to him to his face. But he, um, you are relying on the bowlers. You've still got to take the catches. But I did take my, probably my best catch to the back in that game off Angus Fraser. Um, diving to my right, it was... John T. Rose cutting a ball and I dove, dive to my right hand side and took it one handed. And I've been working on that because of the angle of the delivery, it made it a little bit harder to go to my right. So John T. was a bit tucked up, so it was quite an odd sort of shot. And uh, I've been working on that difficult angle of trying to get across, take one and catch at the same time. So I'll take credit for that one, but I think the bowlers can take definitely take credit for the other one. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. The listeners are going up every single week through COVID-19. Hopefully, we're giving you a little bit of entertainment to take you away from the troubles in the world. Thank you very much for listening. Loads of great guests planned for the next few weeks as well. So stay tuned to Cricket Badger podcast. Like, subscribe. Thank you so much for your support of the Cricket Badger podcast. 
It's just a quick question on your sun hat because it obviously is synonymous with you. I always think when I look at your pictures of you with that sun hat on, which you had for throughout your career, didn't you? It reminds me of that episode of Only Fools and Horses with Trigger and his sweeping brush, um, where he basically yeah. says he's changed the handle about 10 times and he's changed the, uh, changed the uh, kind of whiskers on the bottom about eight times. So it's not the same sweeping brush. How, how much of that hat was repaired and how much of it was the original one? Was it, was it all still there? Well, uh, and I love that uh, that trigger scene. By the way, I love fools and horses. I just I, I, that makes me think of my hat every time I see it. So <laughs> you, you're dead right. No, I had the hat was given to me my very first day as a professional cricketer in 1982, and it did get. Uh, I had it every. Um, I played every first class match with it, apart from a short spell in the West Indies with England. But we won't go into that because they made me change my hat a little, uh, for a few games. But that's a like, that's a podcast on its own, so we won't go into detail on that. But I had it right through all my career, and it had to be rebuilt a few times. I agree, and I didn't burn it in a in an oven in the West Indies. I was trying to starch the brim, and I put it in this oven, and um, basically it, it sort of top part of it disintegrated. So I've had to rebuild it over the years. And I, what I used to rebuild it, well, I didn't actually do it myself. My wife was the only person allowed to touch it, and at the end of every season, um, it would be washed, and we'd be, it would have to be stuck in the uh, the airing cupboard to dry over a biscuit jar, two tea towels, and a tea cosy. That's a, that was the size of my head. That kept it the same size, and we starched it. Um, but the repairs to the actual material, I used my old coach at Gloucestershire, who played for Gloucestershire in the 50s, a guy called Graham Wiltshire, no longer with us. Um, he was the first team coach at Gloucester when I was a, when I was a youngster. And um, he, I used to badger him every winter to go up into his loft and get out his old flannels and his old... Uh, because the, the, the material in those days was, it was like a nice cotton. Uh, the material these days is all plasticky poly, polyester stuff. That, that, that's never, that would never do for the hat. So he would use the, he would have to go up to his loft every winter or every other winter and cut out a piece of uh, old white flannel for me, which my wife would stitch back onto the hat. I hope a good job he never got a recall or a, a come back to play because he probably had one one trouser short on one side, one you know, short leg on one side and long on the other. His, his trousers used to be in bits, but without Graham Wiltshire, I don't think the hat would have survived. But you can still um, see the original badge on the inside, actually, from that first hour board. So most of it is still that was is still there, and it, it was still there. And, and is it in private place somewhere? You, you, I would imagine you treasured it and kept it. I always keep it in a safe place because I have a panic attack if I don't know where it is. Um, <laughs> and I never used to leave my hat on the ground. Uh, if we... Yeah, if we, even if we were playing away, I'd put them in my bag and I'd go back to the hotel with my hat and my gloves. They never, they never ever stayed at the ground. <clears throat> um, all my inners and everything I used to take back with me. And if we were on a flight, probably on tour, they would come into the cabin of the uh, aircraft with me. You know, I'd be in my hand luggage. They wouldn't go down into the into the hold. They'd have to be with me. So I had my gloves, my, well, two pairs over 20 odd years, basically, uh, more or less. And they used to, you know, they, I've got a bit. They used, to, I didn't, I didn't, I never noticed because I got immune to it. But they did used to smell a little bit in the inner. So on a flight, I used to get weird looks from people because they just from the smell coming from underneath my seat, um, was my gloves and my, my inners and my hat. So uh, I, the hat's always in a safe place. I never, I know, I know where it is twenty four hours a day. We've done the good bits, Jack. What's the worst moment in your cricket career? What day would you not want to relive? All those days we lost, you don't like. I mean, that's that's always not a great feeling. If you make a mistake, that's never good. I'd probably if I had to pick one moment, it was be, would be when I got dropped by England at Adelaide in 1991 tour, Ashes. I got dropped at Adelaide, not that I was playing badly, but Angus Fraser had a bad hip, so they wanted to play an extra bowler just in case, which was Daffy De Freitas. 
and uh, so Stewie added two wickets. And that was the very first time I'd ever been dropped from a cricket team in my life. So that was quite, uh, that still sort of hurts. Although I totally understand why Graham Goose did it and, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was fine. He explained everything to me. Um, but it still wasn't a very pleasant experience. But it turned out that I had one of the greatest 15 minutes of my life during that game because I actually had 15 minutes on my own in a darkened room, uh, in a secluded room at the back of the Adelaide Oval in one of the offices with the great Sir Don Bradman, just him and myself, chatting cricket for 15 minutes. And, um, you know, that was something special. So every cloud's got its silver lining, and that was a, a 15 minutes I'll never forget. And the reason I, I, I wanted to speak to him was not just because he was a, a great man to speak to, but he'd signed a limited edition, set a limited edition prints for me um, for, what, three, two or three years earlier. I sent some prints. I did a drawing of them, sent them to Adelaide. He signed all the prints, 250 of them, and sent them back, which, you know, he agreed to do that. Um, and all the money we paid him for doing that, we, he gave to charity, which basically just sums the guy up. But I'd written to him a couple of times um, as well, so we'd, we'd corresponded a little bit. To actually have 15 minutes with him was just unbelievable. And he was razor sharp. And we didn't talk, chat about the old days. We were chatting about all the modern game, who was doing what, batsmen's back lifts. It was like, even now, I just... I just pitched myself that it was just him and I in a room and um, I actually got in there because I just wanted to say thank you but when the England lads found out they said oh, oh get him to sign this get him to sign that and I, I, I actually went in I, I pushed the trolley in with loaded gear on it and I, I had to apologise saying look all the lads have asked if you can sign these things and he, he was there probably signed everything willingly and uh, he was great but I had 15 minutes chatting with the great Sir Don Bradman so um, that was very special I, I've often found, Jack, that players of yesteryear, I mean, I, I, I was lucky enough to have quite a few conversations with Brian Close when I worked at Yorkshire, and Illy, Illy's the same. You start talking to them about matches of the past, and they, they almost say, like, you know, two two twenty eight and 20 seconds, I move square leg in front of square, or something like that. You know, they can remember pretty much everything that they ever did. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's just things. I mean, people say to me, "Now, how do you remember that?" Or how do you? you know, I'm a chat and say, "Oh, I remember." And you just remember things that they're in they're in the back of your brain somewhere. And, um, because it's cricket, the game when you when you're playing cricket all day every day, it's like it's such a big part of your life. Basically, the rest everything else disappears. And um, for a lot of us, the you know the the things still stick in your minds. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And I I knew Brian. I obviously knew Illy through um, the, the England side, and I I knew I knew Brian close very well. And he, he was, he was, they're just, you know, top people that, and they're good to do it. Even people like Jeff Boycott, even now, just, Boyce was great. You just chat to them about the game, you know, because they know the, the infinitable, the sort of like the minuscule little bits that make all the difference. And because um, they've been there and done it, they're just great people to talk to. Them. And, and Sir Don Bradham was the same, you know, he just, we just chatted to him about batting. It was, um, it was great. It was just, I, mean, I was, I always, I always got on with the Bedser twins. I and mean, they presented one of my pictures. Once to the guy at um, Schofield, he ran the European Golf Tour. He's a big Surrey man, and, um, and they asked me to paint a picture of the 1953 Oval Test match. Uh, and the best is presented to him at, at uh, one of the big golf tournaments. And actually, um, the Ryder Cup lads had just come back from uh, America as well, so it was, a, it was a magic evening having won the Ryder Cup. So it, even people like the, the Bedser twins, I always got on. I always seem to get on with the the, the older players. Probably better than the, the uh, players of my own time, you know, in terms of... Because I used to just enjoy chatting to them about, and just picking their brains and um, used to learn so much. Because you remember, I, I, when we when I first started playing, there were no wicket-keeping coaches and there were no coaches really, as a rule. It was just one general coach. Um, you basically had to coach yourself or get coached by other senior players. So 
the only way to learn was to, to actually pick people's brains. So I used to do it with the older players as often as I could. I learned a lot. I, yeah, I've, I've never been happier than when I've been in a pub or something with a couple of older players. Don't say a word. Just listen to them chatting about yesteryear. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating. It's brilliant. Yeah, magic. Priceless, isn't it? It's priceless stuff. Who was your cricket hero when young? I think we probably covered that with your big, biggest influence on your cr- cricket career. But is there anybody else that was uh, a massive hero to you that maybe wasn't a keeper that you just looked at and thought, wow, I want to be, I want to play cricket. That, that guy's yeah, inspired I me. To, I, yeah, I mean, uh, there, I mean, I was not obviously Bob Taylor the main two, but um, in the, I, used like, I used to enjoy watching Derek Randall. I just he was just so different and uh, he was a brilliant fielder he was a fielder ahead of his time so I used to watch him a, a fair bit and um, used to enjoy the way he batted uh, he was great and when I actually finally played against him it was crazy because he used to chat to me when the ball was coming down you know it's sort of like it was, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it and he still hit it in the middle of it before but he, he was great rags uh, I always got on well with him and I, I think a guy who sort of I, I sort of always admired and I knew I was never going to be like him, but I just loved his attitude and the way he went about things was in Syria and Botham. You know, and I was lucky enough to play a few test matches with him towards the end of his career. But I grew up in the 70s, uh, mainly. That's the first time I really got engrossed in cricket. And, um, you know, he was he, he made his debut in the, the, uh, the mid to late 70s. And so he, he, he made his mark on me. And, of course, you've got the Ashes, 81 Ashes, which will... You know, I was a kid then, just a teenager then, looking to make my way in the game. And uh, just, to watch, just to watch him, even now, I just I still love going back and watching that. Um, so I think Beefy was a big um, a big influence in terms of, like, you, you know, nothing was impossible. You know, you could do anything you, you'd like to, not like, but you, there was no mission that you couldn't be completed. So I think I, I learned a lot from his attitude. And to walk out with him, with England, him next to you, you actually, you didn't have to say anything, but you actually felt... Like we could, we were invincible. It's sort of like you could beat the opposition. You just had that aura about it. And um, it was a nightmare in the changing room, by the way, because I had sat next to him a few times and it was like his practical joke. And I used to have to sit between Alan Lamb and uh, Ian Botham. And it was like, you know, you're just lucky to survive the day. You know, you wanted <laughs> on the field all the time where they couldn't get up to any mischief. Many a time I'd come in, put my socks on, and there'd be holes in them, or I'd put my trousers on, and the knees would be missing. And, uh, the practical jokes that went on were, were were crazy, but just you know, they're two great players for you that I was lucky enough to play with. Yeah, that, that does sound like dangerous times. If you could trade lives, Jack Russell, were there any, any current cricketer? We've actually extended it. I did a, a podcast with Billy Godelman the other day, and he went back and actually wanted to be in both of them. So you can go back in time if you want to. But um, the original question was: if you could trade lives with any current cricketer for a day, live in their skin, experience their life, and what it's like to be them, who would you choose? There's one or two, but I, mean, I would probably go, above all, I'd go for Ben Stokes. And I'll tell you why. The reason I started keeping wicket was I, I got bored down at third man in fine leg. And Ben Stokes is always in the game. He, he, I, I would just love to be doing everything. Like, a little bit like Ian Botham, similar, you know, all-rounder, batter, bowler, fielder in the slips. Always in the thick of the action. And I think I might be Ben Stokes because I just I would be in the thick of the action. I think I just I would love that. Um, that would be great. Because I love the game so much, I just want to be involved with everything. So that would be, and Ben does. Ben has to do that. And the other thing is, I think I'd like to, um, if, if I could sort of go inside his brain in terms of, I just love his um, his cricket brain. I just his cricketing brain is like, you know, it's like top class because he can play in all types of situations, and um, he just thinks he's got he's just got a great cricketing brain, and he's one of those players that you know we've seen him smash it all around the park every ball or. He can dig in and uh, build in innings. I mean, that innings he played at uh, Henley, 
I think he scored two runs in the on like the first 70, 70 balls or something. So, and then later in the innings, we're seeing a reverse sweep of sixes over mid wicket. I mean, it's just like the guys just can do anything. So, I think I might be one of those players in the thick of the action who can do anything. So, I, I picked Ben Stokes. As a keeper, though, Jack, you're always involved, aren't you? you I mean, you, you can't turn off, can you? When you're in the field, you've got to concentrate on every single ball. No, there's no hiding place. If you miss one, you know, you're there for the next ball. You know, like I said, if you make a mistake in your batsman, you, you're wandering back to the pavilion. If you bowl a bad spell, the captain says, thank you very much, go down the fine leg and have a think about it. Keepers, there's no hiding place. And, um, you know, maybe and goalkeepers as well. I suppose maybe that's why we're a little bit on the edge or a little bit crazy um, because that's the sort of mentality you, you need for that position. There's, there's no hiding place. But on the other hand, you know, you, I don't mind that. It's you, you sort of put up with that, and the fact that you're involved with every ball, and you're involved with the game all the time. You're involved with every delivery. So I think that's why one of the reasons I started to keep wicket. It's that Badger style. There we go. That's the end of the first part of my chat with Jack Russell. I'm sure you are very keen, if you're old enough to understand this reference, to turn the record over and listen to the B-side. That's out there too on the various podcast platforms that you listen to the podcast on. So turn me off, stick that part two on and enjoy the second half of my chat with Jack Russell. It's well worth it. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.